Brian Ministries International presents Todd Talks, featuring Todd Edwards. Okay. Let's get Zion activated again as we continue in Isaiah. And we're going to do that by going to the Psalms. Um, turn, please turn with me to Psalm 40, uh, 14. Psalm 14. We're going to hit one verse in Psalm 14, and then we're going to read an entire psalm before we get into Isaiah. You will see why. So, uh, Psalm 14. And let's start in verse 5. They were they in great fear, for Elohim is the generation of the righteous. You have shamed the counsel of the poor, because Yahuwah is his refuge. Talking about the enemy. But now we transition in verse 7. Oh, that the salvation of Israel were come out of Zion. When Yahuwah brings back the captivity of his people, Jacob shall rejoice and Israel shall be glad. So salvation is going to come forth out of Zion when he brings them back into captivity to Zion. Psalm 102. This is a longer psalm, but I do want to read a good portion of this. Psalm 102. Hear my prayer, O Yahuwah, let me cry. Come unto you. Hide not your face from me in the day when I am in trouble. Incline your ear unto me. In the day when I call, answer me speedily. For my days are consumed like smoke, and my bones are burned as a hearth. My heart is smitten and withered like grass, so that I forget to eat my bread. By reason of the voice of my groaning, my bones cleave to my skin. I am like a pelican in the wilderness. I don't quite understand the pelican in the wilderness, but that's what he's saying. (laughs) I am like an owl in the desert. I watch and am as a sparrow alone at the top of my house. My enemies reproach me all the day, and they that are mad against me are sworn against me. For I have eaten ashes like bread and mingled my drink with weeping because of your indignation and your wrath. For you have lifted me up and cast me down. My days are like a shadow that declines, and I am withered like grass. That's the setup. Now look at the transition. But you, Yahuwah, shall endure forever. In fact, this goes to what Molly said in the beginning. Let's not focus necessarily and spend all of our time stirring up all of our troubles. We acknowledge them, we deal with them, but now we turn. But you, O Yahuwah, shall endure forever and your remembrance unto all generations. Here we go. You shall arise 
and have mercy upon Zion. For the time to favor her, yes, the set time has come. I feel the stirring saying that even now. The set time for Zion to receive the mercy of Yahuwah is now. Verse 14. For your servants shall take pleasure in her stones. And we did also a study on we are the living stones from Peter. And favor the dust thereof. We are made of the dust. So the nation shall fear the name of Yahuwah. Why shall they fear the name of Yahuwah? Because Zion will have mercy given to her. And then all of the people that are her children of Zion start to then get reintegrated to Zion. Therefore, when that happens, the nation shall fear the name of Yahuwah and all the kings of the earth your glory. When Yahuwah shall build up Zion, he shall appear in his glory. And it goes on. So this is a really, really big deal. I, it's, it's, it's such a, a repent, a shift of the psalmist that he's in affliction and what gets him out of this terrible terrible affliction is to remember the destiny of zion two words of uh of weight this week for me that i want to share and this is like uh you know in a lot of these bible studies we we're building a house, we're building our individual houses, we're building our collective houses, we're building our houses in the heavens, we're building really the, the house of Zion. And in order to maybe do a new piece of the house, like we are uh, now putting in uh, the kitchen area, for example, we might need new tools. So part of the, the study is to introduce you to new tools and then we're going to explain what's needed on the countertops. And then we're going to build the countertops for the day. So these are like two new tools that I'm going to introduce you to that will intertwine in what we get into with Isaiah 52. Uh, the first one is the word truth. It is one of the five character traits of Yahuwah that he wants to emphasize over and over and over again. Uh, he has many, of course, but we've talked about how he has five in particular that he likes to emphasize, grace and mercy and goodness, long-suffering, and the fifth is truth. In the Hebrew, it's emeth, emeth. Uh, it's Hebrew Strong's uh, 571. And it really comes from trustworthiness or establishment, firmness, being sure. It also is very tied close together with Strong's 539, Amon. So it's Emeth and Amon. And Amon is, is uh, also very similar, but there's some interesting things in there. It's like a parent or a nurse giving or providing strength to a child. It also ties to faithfulness and trust. So I, God gave me this picture of what truth is like. If you're in a boat, and it's a small boat, small craft, and the winds are blowing, the winds are blowing, the storm's coming, you just get washed away. You get pushed around wherever the winds are. And let's say there is a, a fishing spot that you want to 
stay in because that's where all the fish is. It's like God's anointing, his presence. And if you get the wind blows you off of that spot, he blows you off of his presence. So you want to keep remaining in that spot. How do you remain in that spot if your boat's constantly moving? You need an anchor. A mess or a truth is like having an anchor. So that when the winds come and the storms come, you're stable, you're not moving. If you have truth, you're not going to move. Now, we also know that Yeshua is the truth. So the more of Yeshua we have, the more truth we have, and the more we are firmly attached to the rock. First mention of this word, emeth, comes from uh, Genesis 15. And we'll see this, this kind of anchor, as I'm describing it, in effect. Genesis 15, related to Abram. Verse 6. And he believed in Yahuwah, and he counted it to him. So Yahuwah counted it to Abram for righteousness. The word believe is that same root word that comes out of emeth or aman. So Abram's anchor was Yahuwah, which is the same language when Yahuwah said, Abram, I am your great reward. So Abram then has as an anchor or truth, Yahuwah is his reward. Yahuwah is his everything. Therefore, Yahuwah counted at that, that truth as righteousness. John 18. One more thing on truth. Yeshua is brought before Pilate. And in verse 36. Now, th these two verses are going to be important for us to understand some passages in Isaiah 52. And that's why I wanted to pick these, these two out. Uh, Isaiah, uh, John 18, verse 36 and 37. Yeshua answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? Yeshua answered, you say that I am a king. To this end I was born. For this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the emeth, truth. Everyone that is of the emeth hears my voice. So this is the picture that Yeshua is giving to us that's going to help us interpret some of Isaiah 52. Yeshua is of the kingdom of heaven. He's not of the kingdom of this world. And what he's saying is, I have come to speak the truth. The truth will set you free. Free from what? Free from the kingdom of the world and all of its ties. The truth actually allows you to take the bridge from death to life, from light to dark, or dark to light and from the kingdom of the world to the kingdom of heaven. Yeshua is saying this is a key 
because I'm of the kingdom of heaven. My kingdom is not from here, Pilate. And I'm going to call all those that are in your kingdom to my kingdom by truth. So truth is really, really important. So that's word number one. That's kind of like the one tool that we need here to build the kitchen. Another tool that we need is the word honor. That was also really on, on my heart uh, this week. Uh, that is Hebrew uh, Strong's 3519, and that's kabod. Kabod, honor. Really interesting translation. Sometimes we consider it as glory, but that's not quite right. Glory is the fullness of someone. So the fullness of God is his glory. So Yeshua hid his glory when he walked the earth 2,000 years ago, but then he was raised in glory. It means we now see the fullness of him. So when John sees him in the spirit in Revelation chapter 1, he sees him, his eyes are like flames of fire. There's a sharp two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. His countenance is brighter than the sun at noonday. That's his glory, the fullness of him. Even that, he's still more full than that, but that means that's what glory is. Honor is something different. Honor literally means weight or to be heavy. And it can be done in a bad sense, and it can be done in a negative sense. It's also tied to weight, heaviness, authority. You can give someone, so when we honor each other, we are giving acknowledgement or in a way respect. We are giving acknowledgement of authority or the weight that you carry. We can give our honor negatively in the wrong direction. We can give our honor in the positive direction. Yes, I think I do want to show this. Um, so we, in the chat, you'll, you saw that uh, we, a bunch of us gathered last night, and the conversation was really good about honor in regards to parents. So I want to talk a little bit about this. I wasn't planning, but I think it was so good that I think we need to share this a little bit. So the word honor. In a negative sense, uh, Genesis 18.20, I believe that is, um, Sodom was grievous. So the sin of Sodom was grievous, or it was in a negative sense, it was honor. Wait. So the word grievous actually should be translated kavod, and that is the word, which means honor or weight. So there was authority and weight given to the sin of Sodom. That's a negative sense. In a positive sense, we give honor or weight or authority to God. So the conversation last night then turned, well, what about, of course, Exodus 20, verse 12, honor your mother and father, especially when it's an unhealthy relationship. How does that work? If you are giving them authority or weight and they're in the wrong, or unfortunately for some of you, um, 
it was flat out evil. Honor is different than coming into agreement with or being obedient to. How is that possible? This doesn't mean coming into agreement with whatever they do in an unhealthy manner. We need to look at them in terms of the honor in a different way. And this is what the discussion went uh, last night, which was, I thought, really cool. First of all, view them for they took the assignment to steward your life. So when Eliana and I think about our kids, we are the stewards of over those spirits. We took on that assignment. Whether we did it well or not, that's another thing. We took on the assignment. Now, I'll say this again for um, some of you that are survivors. Some of your parents took it on for evil. But it's, it's fewer cases than what I'm about to share with you guys for, for most of you. So I want to share that, that there, there are exceptions to that. Some people took on the assignments of being a steward over someone's spirit for evil. Most of our parents, though, the ones that even have unhealthy relationships, we have to look differently. For example, they may have taken on the assignments, and yet their soul did not understand how to steward your spirit. That doesn't necessarily make them bad or undeserving of honor. They may have taken on the assignment because they absorbed whatever iniquity that was coming down your generations. They may absorb whatever attacks were coming against you so that we all could get to this place today and love Yeshua. We don't know necessarily how that all worked out, but somehow they were a part of Yahuwah's plan to get us to the place we are today and to the people manifesting in our souls the spirits who we are. It's a different perspective. The other perspective is we are not children all of our lives. At some point in time, in any healthy relationship, your, your, the parent-child relationship starts to change. And we describe this in covenantal relationships with Yahuwah. We first start off as a servant, then we move into friendship. Then there is a son or daughter or inheritance, shared responsibilities, and eventually a bridal relationship. Well, same thing with a parent-child relationship. It starts to change. Well, think about it from an eternal point of view, a heavenly point of view. My parents are always my parents on earth, but yet I now view their spirits very differently. I'm not viewing them as just my parents. I'm also viewing them as children of God. And in some of your cases, you're viewing your parents as lost children of God. That's separate from honoring them. In fact, God is not mocked what you sow you will reap. If we sow honor into them, not in coming to agreement with anything bad they did, we sow honor into them, we are giving them the weight of the assignment that they carried to free us. 
again, I'm separating out those people, those parents that took on the assignment for, for evil reasons. That's different. But for most of us that, and I'm not, for most of you that have unhealthy relationships with your parents, you're now free. You might have some baggage or bondage, but view them differently with honor. That's an example. Um, so all of this kind of changes in a godly sense. Also, when we think about honoring Yahuwah in a godly sense, it's also tied to the spirit of the fear of Yahuwah because we are acknowledging his weight, his authority. It also ties to mountains because mountains are representative and are places of authority. So honor, mountains, the fear of Yahuwah all tied together. Real important work. With that said, we got our tools in place and off we go to Isaiah 52. I uh, said this, I think, the last two times when we've been digging into Zion. Isaiah 48, at least, to 66, all flow together. So it's one big set. And therefore, we need to have the mindset of, oh, when we read this chapter, it's connected to the last chapter, and it's connected to the next chapter. We're not going to, I know we're not going to have time to get into Isaiah 53, but I want you guys to think about Isaiah 53 is a very well-known passage about the suffering servant and Yeshua. So keep that in mind as we are reading Isaiah 52. So here we go with Isaiah 52. Verse 1. Awake, awake, put on your strength. O Zion. So that also means that a Zion was sleeping. So a Zion was not necessarily active. Zion, wake up. It's time. Wake up. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city, which also means Jerusalem is wearing rags. So today, Zion in the heavens and Jerusalem on the earth are not what they're supposed to be. Even though this is for future, we also know outside of time, this is for now. And we read in Isaiah 48 through 51 so far, we are to engage with Zion. We are participants in this awakening. So that's how he sets it up. For henceforth, there shall no more come into you the uncircumcised and the unclean. Now, sometimes we pause and stop in certain verses or certain words. Uh, this is one of those places that I know you guys know what uncircumcised means and know what unclean means but I want to give it a little bit of a different twist, again, to establish more truth, more anchor. So, uncircumcised. In part, 
circumcision was given as a land entry token that Abraham was going to, part of his promise that he was given, he was going to enter into the land. And I think we've studied a little bit in that in the past. Also, then there is another element of circumcision, and that's the circumcision of the heart. And Paul talks about this in Romans. The circumcision of the heart also is land entry in that a heart of stone cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And that's why we went to John 18. So by circumcising our hearts, now we get land entry into the kingdom of God. Now our hearts become a flesh. And now we can write his laws upon our hearts. And now our hearts can be active with our soul in following out the maturity of salvation through fear and trembling. So circumcision is real important. So that totally makes sense. Jerusalem, you are no longer going to have people with hearts of stone that don't belong in the kingdom of Yahuwah. That's pretty intense when we think about it that way. Those people aren't even allowed in anymore. Second thing, the unclean piece. This is the, the core word of clean, that goes back to clean and unclean all throughout the law. And this word unclean is uh, Strong's 2931, which is Tomei. Let's take a look at the first mention of Tomei because it explains the whole thought process of unclean. Uh, Leviticus chapter 5, verse 2. Leviticus 5, verse 2. This will give us a hint of the depths of this word, Tomei, and unclean. Let's do chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, just to have kind of some continuity. And if a soul sin and hear the voice of swearing as a witness, whether he has seen or known of it, if he will not utter it, then he shall bear his iniquity. By the way, this is why Yeshua, when he was confronted, he was forced to give a witness. If you remember when uh, Caiaphas said, Yeshua, you're not speaking up for yourself. And then two false witnesses came, and then Caiaphas invoked, hey, by the way, I adjure you by the living God, meaning his command, you must speak. He was talking about this, Leviticus 5, 1. So if Yeshua were to witness false witnesses and not speak enduring the law, then he would be considered unlawful. So he spoke. That's what, that's what 5, 1 is all about. Or if a soul touches any unclean or tome thing, whether it be a carcass of an unclean beast or a carcass of an unclean cattle, or a carcass of an unclean, creepy thing, if it be hidden from him, he also shall be tamay or guilty. So why did I go to this? Because the root of unclean is associated with death. Dead things. Death. What Isaiah is pointing out and highlighting unclean is there's not going to be anything in Zion anymore that's associated with death in any way. 
which also we know from Romans, sin, its fruit is death. So we have no sin, we have no death, we have no unclean thing that's associated with death in any of its minions. This is so big that death and hell get thrown into the fiery lake of fire even after Satan does. So conquering death is enormous. It basically wipes out the whole negative plan against us. That's what Isaiah is saying right from the beginning. Awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion. No more people that don't belong are coming into you, and no more death. It's only going to be life. So really, really big. It is the death culture. It is death foods. It is a death port portals. It's death actions. It's death thoughts. It's all these things that are associated with death. Boom, removed, because that's all unclean. We're surrounded by it in our society. Death, 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 death. It's all unclean, unclean, unclean. Tomei, 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 tomei. Say no more. Verse two. Take yourself from the dust. Arise and sit down, O Jerusalem. Loose yourself from the bands of your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. So the dust is the same word that is in Genesis 2, that mankind was made of the dust of the ground. So Isaiah is reminding Jerusalem that, yes, you were made from the dust, but that's not who you are. You actually listen to the enemy, and now you are acting as if the old man is there, which is the dust. So get up, have a seat, and watch what Yahweh is about to do. Isaiah is reminding Jerusalem of this mindset, which also goes back to what Molly opened up with. Don't have the mindset of who you were. Have the mindset of who you are. Don't have the mindset of what you did. Have the mindset of what God has declared you to be, which is very similar to what Precious said in identity. Also, it links now understanding, O captive daughter of Zion. So Jerusalem is the daughter of Zion. It's the earthly offspring of the heavenly Zion. Just like Jacob is the earth man or the flesh man, Israel is the spirit man. They're linked. Verse 3. We are going to sit now in verse 3 for a little bit. For thus says Yahuwah, you have sold yourselves for nothing, and you shall be redeemed without money. <clears throat> Dan did, I don't know, maybe eight sessions on economies of trade. That's what this verse is all about, economies of trade. And I was meditating on this couple weeks ago, and um, the word is amazing and how many layers are, are given to it. So out of this, I want to share some revelation for you, because this pertains to all of us. There is a, this goes back to John 18, and kingdom of heaven and kingdom of the world. 
there is a currency system in the kingdom of heaven. And there is a currency system in the kingdom of the world. And I am saying to you that the valuations are totally different. Not only are the assets in each kingdom different, the valuations are not comparable. We also know, and Dan spoke about this, Satan fell because of pride and merchandising, trading. He was in the heavens making deals. He was like the first bookie. He was making deals. Hey, angels, um, how about I give you a little bit more glory? I'm the covering cherub of Yahuwah. I'll give you a little bit more of God's glory um, if, by the way, if something happens, have my back. That could have been a deal that took place. All of a sudden, he's making deals and merchandising. He did a whole bunch more when he started merchandising souls as well. So he is a merchandiser currency. Everything in heaven has a value. So if you go to your house or to your apartment and say, I'm, okay, I'm going to have a sale now on all items. You look at some item and you look at its value. See, what could I get for it? You look at its condition. What could I get for it? You look at its age. What could I get for it? And you could put a price tag on something and then you sell it. Satan was selling that with souls. And what Isaiah is saying is you, we, have sold ourselves for nothing, meaning the valuation that you really have, you got robbed. You got robbed. You, you're valued, and I'm just going to put this number in place, you're valued at 100, you sold yourself for a penny, and you thought it was a good deal. And what does that mean? You sold yourself for an accolade. What's an accolade worth? You sold yourself for a good feeling. How long does a good feeling last? You sold yourself for a position. Maybe that's more than a penny. Maybe that's a dollar, but you're worth a hundred. You still sold yourself for nothing. Our trade of ourselves has been terrible. We have made deals with the merchandiser himself in the kingdom of this world, and we have been terrible at it. And that's what Isaiah is saying. So I pose this to you all to think about. Think about as I say this. What are we valued at? What's our valuation? So what Christian just said is if we were to trade ourselves for the whole earth and all the contents, that would be a bad trade. (laughs) That would be a bad trade. Um, So Corey said the blood, Jennifer jumped in, Yeshua's life, he laid 
his life down for us, meaning our valuation is God himself. If, if we were to put a value on us, it would be, oh, I'm of the value of God. I am the exact same value of God. All right, Satan, what do you got? Because <laughs> now, now, now we're talking about true valuation. So, Satan, what can you throw? Oh, so he did that when he was tempting Yeshua. He said, look, I'll take you to the top of the mountain. Here are all the kingdoms of the world. Throw your life down for it. Yeshua didn't take that trade because he was valued more than all the kingdoms of the world. But we come in and we say, ah, you know what, that would be so nice if someone said something nice to me. So I'll go ahead and say a lie and I'll prop myself up a little bit. You just did a swap, a merchandise swap for nothing. You took your valuation, which is the valuation of Yeshua himself, God Almighty, and you traded him for a compliment. What? We do this all the time. So not only is our valuation off, but we're operating in the kingdom of heaven valuation, and then we're jumping down to the kingdom of the world evaluation, which is set up by Satan. So we're not even making good trades in the right currency exchange. After World War II, after World War I, Germany was so devastated by the Balfour Declaration that and they call it the Weedmar Republic. They would take wheelbarrows full of Deutschmarks to buy a loaf of bread. The currency was better used to create a fire than bread. So if we take, let's just say currency evaluation, an ounce of gold is approximately worth $1,700 today. We're taking that currency exchange rate and comparing that to the old Deutschmark, which couldn't even, thousands, millions couldn't buy a loaf of bread. Not only are we misrepresenting our value in the heavenly, kingdom of heavenly currency, we are jumping down to a Weedmar Republic where the currency is worth squat. It's exponentially a bad deal. So you, that, that's what Isaiah is saying. You sold yourselves for nothing. Satan also likes to mock us. He is open about it. He tells us what he's about to do. He does that when he reveals himself in movies, for example. And here's my plan for you guys over the next 50, 100 years. This is what I'm going to do to you. And he reveals all this stuff. I think it's also it's part of his pride, but I think it's also part of God's mercy, that God's mercy forces him to get out in the open so that those that have eyes can see and those that have ears can hear can see the plot of the enemy and then prepare. Yeshua reverses this whole trade thing on him in the second part of the verse. And you shall be redeemed without money. So Yeshua doesn't have a money currency exchange in the kingdom of heaven. It's love. He jumps down to Satan's exchange and says, okay, Satan, you're playing this game with my people. I'm going to buy him back, and I'm not even going to give you anything in your currency system. 
then now we see how that ties to the next chapter that we're not going to get into today, the suffering servant, and also why he had to become a man, dust, talking about Jerusalem. He had to go into the kingdom of the world currency exchange and then offer his life there. He didn't use the kingdom of heaven exchange. He came down into Satan's kingdom of uh, kingdom of the world exchange and then bought us for nothing, thereby mocking Satan. You bought them for nothing, I'm going to buy them without money in your own system. Also showing how it's all a continuation, Isaiah 55 then starts with this. Verse 1, Ho, everyone that thirsts, come to the waters. And he that has no money, come, buy, eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. So this is a continuation of this whole thought. <clears throat> Isaiah 53, uh, let's jump to verse 4. Let that Selah in us moving forward in our lives. Talking about identity, just let that sit. Your valuation is the valuation of Yeshua. It, it goes back also to identity as, uh, and I shared this last night in the group, one of the big revelations that I've had in my identity comes from Hebrews 10, where I do not have conscience of sin anymore. Yeshua's blood covered me one time for all sins forever, and he sat down at the right hand of the Father. And where in the, the, under the law, under the Day of Atonement, they would have to remember their sins one time a year so what do Christians do? Well, we're told in the Catholic Church, remember your sins every time you see the priest. We're told in the Baptist Church, remember your sins before you go to bed at night unless you die. We're told in the evangelistic types of churches, hey, remember your sins every time you think about them. It gets worse and worse and worse, and the law is much better. Hey, I only have to do this one time a year. So the revelation that hit me was, wait a minute. I don't have to have a conscience of sin anymore, ever. Now, therefore, I can come boldly before the throne of grace. So really big revelation. So if that's true, that also means I am as righteous as Yeshua because his righteousness is in me. Now we take it a step further today. I am valued as the value of Yeshua. He did a one-for-one -one equivalent exchange for me and for you. Totally different. Totally different mindset. So how that sink in. Isaiah 52, verse 4. For thus says, Adonai Elohim, my people, oh, my people who sold themselves for nothing, went down aforetime into Egypt to sojourn there, and the Assyrian oppressed them without cause. Now, this could be read in two ways. Two different events. They went down into Egypt, and then afterwards, the Assyrian oppressed them 
later in uh, 860-ish BC. Or it could actually be that these two entities are working together. You have this Babylonian system, which is also tied together to the Egyptian system uh, that Satan uses. And then he uses a specific character, an unholy actor called the Assyrian. In fact, Isaiah 14 speaks of the Assyrian. So Isaiah 14, starting in uh, verse 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations. For you said in your heart, I will send into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount, the mountain of the congregation. Oh boy, more mountains and more mountains where we belong um, in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high, yet you shall be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. That whole flow that you all know in the Isaiah 14 passage continues. Verse 24. Yahweh Sabot has sworn, saying, Surely as I have thought, so it shall come to pass. And as I have purposed, so it shall stand. Yahuwah is establishing his anchor, his truth in us. That's why he uses that kind of language. Surely. Absolutely for sure. I thought it, it's going to happen. I have planned it, it will stand. I don't care what the enemy does, it's come to pass. What's come to pass? Verse 25, that I will break the Assyrian in my land. And upon my mountains, tread him under feet. Because the Assyrian operates in mountains. The Assyrian operates in the mountains of heaven that manifest into the mountains of earth. These are the currency exchanges. There's mountains that are established in the kingdom of heaven that are for currency purposes. And there's mountains that are established in the kingdom of the world that the Assyrian has established. He's going to break those things too. He's going to break the economy mountain of the Assyrian. And I'm going to tread him underfoot. Then shall his yoke depart from off of them. See how it ties back to Isaiah that the daughter of Zion, Jerusalem, has been held captive. She has a yoke. Part of the yoke is the mountain of economy that the Assyrian has established. So when we say to the angels of breakthrough, you are loose to conquest the mountains and hills that oppose me to flatten them, I am saying I'm going to flatten the economies and the currency economies that Satan has established that are there to thwart me in the kingdom of this world. And it's the Assyrian that does it. This is the purpose that is purposed upon the whole earth. And this is the hand that is stretched upon all the nations. For Yahweh Sabaoth, so now he's not invoking Yahweh the merciful. He's invoking Yahweh the commander of the armies has purposed. And who shall disannul it? And his hand is stretched out, and who shall turn back? So this is back to Isaiah 52. So all same kind of same concept. For thus says, 
Adonai Elohim, my people went aforetime into Egypt to journey there. They got stuck. They got stuck in the captivity. And then when I brought them out, Egypt was still grabbing on a hold of them. And then the Assyrian was actually oppressing them without cause. So we have this mountain of Egypt that was fighting against his people. And then you had this entity, the Assyrian, that is an instigator. He is one of the chief bad guys. And what God is saying back in Isaiah 14 is he's tied to Lucifer and his plans and Lucifer and the Assyrian have established an economy mountain that will be destroyed. And it's so sure that this is in the heart and the plans of God that he's going to wreck it. So not only are we redeemed without money, but the whole currency exchange of where we sold ourselves to will be wrecked. Isaiah 52 verse 5. Isaiah talks about this whole thing with Zion and, and the Assyrian in great detail in Isaiah 30 as well, um, for those of you interested. I mean, Isaiah ties all this stuff together throughout his whole, his whole language in the whole book. It's, it's, it's beautiful. Isaiah 52, um, verses 5 and 6. Now, therefore, what have I have here, says Yahuwah, that my people is taken away for nothing? This is on the heart of God. They that rule over them make them howl, says Yahuwah. And my name continually is blasphemed. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, they shall know in that day that I am he that does speak. Behold, it is me. Here's another truth that Yeshua was getting at with Pilate that is going to set the captives free and move them from dark to light kingdom of the world, the kingdom of heaven, is to know his name. His name, his name, his name, his name, his name, for his name's sake. So Moses is pleading on behalf of Israel, this God. God, do not forsake your people for your name's sake. His name has power. The blood the water, the spirit are tools. His name is incredibly powerful. That's why Dan writes in his prayers, charged with the names of Yahuwah. So God is tying our oppression with blasphemy because his name is written on us. We sold ourselves for nothing, therefore it's blasphemed. This is such a big deal to me in terms of how we are supposed to carry ourselves in the kingdom of the world. We are supposed to be excellent all the time for his namesake. For his namesake. You don't have to blaspheme God, but if you're a believer with the Holy Spirit and you're lazy, that's a way of blaspheming God. That's what Isaiah is saying. Because you're oppressed, his name is blasphemed. Because the enemy is mocking. Ah, oh, you're following Yeshua. Where's the power of Yeshua in you? What? You're not getting set free? No, we carry the mighty name. That's what Isaiah is getting at. So for your name's sake, Abba. Um, Psalm 25. I know in, in some cases, um, 
some of these truths are you guys already have. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to push them deeper into the ground. Isaiah 25, verse 11. I'll back up verse 10 because I'm just looking at this. And of course, it's a tie. All the paths, Isaiah, I mean, uh, Psalm 25, verse 10. All the paths of Yahuwah are mercy and a map, truth. Unto such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Yahuwah, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. We can even invoke his own namesake on our own behalf before him. Abba, come with justice for your namesake. That's what Isaiah is getting at. Isaiah 52, verse 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bring good tidings, that publish peace, that bring good tidings of good, that publish salvation, that say unto Zion, your Elohim reign. What mountains is he talking about? And notice that Yahuwah has to encourage Zion. Hey, don't forget, your God reigns. Because even Zion has lost her children and is in despair. And that's why we're stirring up Zion. Um, Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Paul quotes this passage. And he ties it, let's say Romans chapter 10. Let's go all the way back to verse 9. This is how critical what Isaiah is saying. It is so fundamental to our faith. Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if you shall confess with your mouth the Master Yeshua and shall believe in your heart that, that Elohim has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Core to our faith. We quote this all the time. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, we just saw before about Abraham. So with truth and honor, Abraham got righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made into salvation. For the scripture says, what scripture? We didn't read this. We will read this, Isaiah 53. Whoever believes on him shall not be shamed, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. The same Master is over all, is rich unto all that they call upon him. Now listen to this. He's now he's going to tie what Isaiah wrote about the beautiful feet to this. Because he's talking about the whole justification and bringing people into the process of salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of Yahuwah shall be saved. How then shall they call upon him if they have not believed? How shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? 
And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Back to Isaiah 52.7. What Isaiah is saying is those that are in connection with the call of Zion, God is going to send to activate her children and to bring her children into Zion. Because remember that the context of Isaiah 52 is about Zion. And Isaiah and Paul are saying the same thing. The people not just get sent out in evangelism called by man, not even sent out that God moves you to go stir wherever the highways and byways are. These people that have beautiful feet are those that are working in conjunction with Zion to go get our kids because they're working with the mountain of Zion and the things of heaven. This is like another level of evangelism. You start engaging with Zion, the evangelism anointing goes up because you are participating with her call. You are bringing good tidings and it's written down for peace. You are bringing good tidings of good, it's written down for salvation. Really critical on how, how important that is to tie it together. Uh, let's keep going. Uh, verse 8, your watchmen shall lift up your voice. With the voice together they shall sing, for shall see eye to eye when Yahuwah shall bring again Zion. <laughs> the watchmen are engaged with Zion. Uh, the voice, we get to see eye to eye. I want to spend some time on eye to eye, I think, uh, at, the, at the end. That's so important. Um, bring forth unto joy. Sing together, you waste places of Jerusalem. Isaiah uses waste places all the time, all the time, all the time. The waste cities, the waste places. These are the places, the cities of refuge. These are the places of the congregation that were supposed to be built up in the spirit that are now destroyed. Um, for Yahuwah has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. So now he, he now sees what's taking place. Uh, I want to spend some time on eye to eye. Yes, 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 yes. Let's spend some time on eye to eye. I'm going to do it in this context. I'm going to jump ahead to verses 13 to 15. For the sake of time, I'm going to jump ahead to 13 to 15 and then tie it back to eye to eye. Behold, Think about the context of which we just went through with Zion. And it's all about now, the context of 52 is this currency exchange. Now he's going to introduce how he is going to buy us without money. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. As many were astonished at you, his visage was so marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. By the way, his face, Yeshua's face, was beaten to a pulp so badly, it was more than any man, you couldn't even tell who he was. It wasn't like he had some blood coming down because of the, the thorns. He was beaten to a pulp. His face was a mess. So shall he sprinkle. Sprinkle is going to be tied to eye to eye. 
so shall he sprinkle many nations. The kings shall shut their mouths at him. For that which has not been told, they shall see. That which has not been heard, they shall consider. Because this sprinkling and eye to eye tie to the work of the beautiful feet that are working with Zion in the last days that brings so much good news and so much presence of God that even the kings who could not see and could not hear will all of a sudden see and hear. This has not happened in the timeline yet. It's happened in the spirit, and we are engaging with that right now. Sprinkle. Sprinkle immediately should jump all of you to priesthood. It's the sprinkling of the blood. And there's lots of ways to look at sprinkling. There's lots of ways to look at um, priesthood. I want to focus on a section here to close this out today. And we're going to look at it from the perspective of the door and our privileged priestly position. Because we talked about our valuation as Yeshua. Let's talk about our valuation as priests now. So, Jeremiah chapter 31. I hope this blesses you guys. Jeremiah chapter 31. Because this priestly position, the sprinkling, the beautiful feet, the call of Zion, all tie together. Jeremiah 31, verse 1. At the same time, says Yahuwah, I will be the Elohim of all families of Israel, and they shall be my people. That's the setup. Jump ahead to verse 10. Hear you the word of Yahuwah, O you nations, and declare it to the islands afar. It sounds very similar to the language we just read in Isaiah the publishing, the good tidings, beautiful feet. He that scattered Israel will scatter him and keep him as a shepherd does his flock. For Yahuwah has redeemed Jacob, the natural man that is of the dust that was slumbering, and ransomed him, there's that currency piece again, and ransomed him from the hand of him that was stronger than him, the Assyrian. He's all tying it together. Therefore, they shall come and sing in the height of Zion and shall flow together to the goodness of Yahuwah for wheat and for wine and for oil and for the young of the flock and the herd. And their souls shall be as a watered garden. They're gonna, we're going to be operating in fullness of our souls. Not only totally put together with parts, not only freed from bondage, our garden is going to flourish. And it's not just the garden of us. It's the garden of all of our relationships that overlap. There's not going to be a single weed in there because there's going to be no unclean thing, no uncircumcised thing. There's not going to be a single plant that's suffering. <clears throat> and they shall not sorrow anymore. Then shall the virgin rejoice in the dance. You know, he's getting that. Zion will rejoice. 
both young men and old, and I will turn their mourning into joy and will comfort them and make them rejoice for their sorrow. And I will satiate the soul of the priests with fatness. And my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, says Yahuwah. So what he's saying is this priestly position. So he ties all this greatness together of what's going to happen with Zion and her people and our souls of our garden. But then he, he highlights the priests. The priests will be fat. It's not a bad thing. It's actually the priests will be fatness because what happens? It's, it's the sacrifices and the revelation. The priests will be fat with revelation because we will be hunger, we'll be hungry for righteousness. We will be filled with righteousness. Revelation will be filling us. We'll be so full, we'll be so full of revelation. It's almost like we can't take anymore. Oh no, here comes more revelation. Oh no, here comes more revelation. I mean, that's, that's how we're going to operate in those days. So that's tied to kind of the, the timing frame. Now, Yeshua. Yeshua, I'm going to focus on this now, the sprinkling again. He sprinkled his blood on himself as the great high priest. So going back to the book of Leviticus, there was a sprinkling of the blood on the thumbs, on the toes, on the head. It was a sprinkling seven places for the high priest to be anointed. So he did that. Turn to John chapter 10. Work, building up the kitchen is a little more complex than building up a, uh, a wall. So I told you about the analogy of the we're building today. This is the building of the kitchen. It's a little more complex. There's some plumbing that's taking place. There's some, some granite we need to finish up a little bit. There's some cabinet work. Um, this is what's happening. So it kind of feels like, oh, I'm over here, I'm over here. I'm over. This is all going to tie together because it goes back to the valuation and the currency exchange now with us as priests, especially in the last day when we're filled with fatness, which is a good thing. So John chapter 10, verse 9. <clears throat> Yeshua speaking, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and he shall go in and out and find pasture. I am the door. Exodus 29. Exodus 29. Verse 19, this is what I was referring to about the priests. And you shall take the other ram, and Aaron and his son shall put their hands in the head of the ram. You shall kill the ram and take, take the blood and put it on the right tip of the ear of Aaron and upon the right uh, ear of his sons and upon the thumb of his right hand on their great toe and sprinkle the blood of the altar round about him. And you shall take the blood that, that is on the altar and the anointing oil and sprinkle it upon Aaron and his garments and upon his sons and upon the garments of his son, and he shall be made hallowed, his garments, his sons, and his son's garments with him. What I'm saying is, Yeshua, as the great high priest, he is the door to the face of God, and his blood anointed him as such. He had to do it in 
the form of a man because he had to come down to the currency of the kingdom of the world to do it. In order to redeem us, he had to come down to our currency level where we sold ourselves at. And he is the door to the face of Yahuwah. So now let me throw another term out before you, and that is the, the Hebrew strong 6440, which is ponim, which means face, but is frequently translated before. The word before. So when we see the before frequently in the Old Testament, it actually means face. <clears throat> so what do I mean by that? Numbers chapter 3. I'm picking up momentum because I'm starting to tie this together and then you'll see the punchline. Numbers chapter 3, verse 38. So this is how the tribes of Israel encamped around the camp. And what is the central portion of the camp? It was the Ark of the Covenant and the tabernacle of the congregation. But those that encamp before the tabernacle or the face, the panim of the tabernacle toward the east before or the face of the tabernacle of the congregation eastward shall be Moses, Aaron, and the sons. Meaning that the priest stood before the face of the tabernacle. They look into the face of the tabernacle, the face of the Ark of the Covenant. Nehemiah chapter 3. Oh, I'm so confused. Hang in there. This, this, this will come together. Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 29. Nehemiah sent, he starts to rebuild the wall. There's a whole bunch of gates all around Jerusalem. Nehemiah 3, verse 29. And after them, after them, these several gates, repaired Zadok, Zadik, 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 Zadik. Signifying the Malki Zadik priesthood, the son of Immer, over his house, and after him repaired Shemaneah, the son of something, the keeper of the east gate. So Zadik was repairing the east gate, and we know that east was the position of the opening of the door, and Yeshua is the door. Okay? He goes on in verse 31 and says that there is now also an, another eastern gate called the Mikpad. And that's important to know because that name actually means skull or where they counted heads. So we have these two eastern gates that are facing east from the temple that Nehemiah rebuilds and it's built by Zadok. Zadik. Keep going. Ezekiel 11. So the glory of Yahuwah is over the Ark of the Covenant in the temple, which is on Mount Moriah. And Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 22, says, then did the cherubim lift up their wings and the wheels besides them, and the glory of Yahuwah of Israel was over them. This is what Isaiah, I mean, Ezekiel saw in chapter 1. He saw that the cherubim covering his glory 
they were had wheels within wheels, and they were taking his throne in various places in multi-dimensions. And verse 23, and the glory of Yahweh went up from the midst of the city over the Ark of the Covenant and stood upon the mountain, which is on the east side of the city, which is the Mount of Olives. So the glory now moves. Luke chapter 21. Verse, Luke 21, verse 37. And in the daytime, he, Yeshua, was teaching in the temple. And at night, he went out and abode in the mount that is called Olives. So Yeshua's method was to go spend time with the Father in prayer and then go teach from his overflow of revelation, fatness. He went to the temple, which is where the Ark of the Covenant was supposed to be. But that's not where he got revelation. That's not where the glory was. He had to go commune with the Father, which was on Mount of Olives. Ezekiel saw this. That's why he had to die over there, because that's where the glory was. Yeshua also said, what's greater, the altar or the sacrifice? It's the altar. You can sacrifice anywhere you want. You can sacrifice to idols in an, in, a, in an idol altar. That means nothing. It has to be anointed as an altar. So what Yeshua was doing in prayer and that Ezekiel saw was the glory. There was actually an altar set up on the Mount of Olives. And then any sacrifice there that was worthy would be anointed. <clears throat> So how does this all tie together? Leviticus chapter 4. Leviticus chapter 4. How does this tie to our worth? How does this tie to his face? How does this tie to our valuation? How does this tie to us being priests and the sprinkling of the blood? This is how it all ties. And I want you guys now, as we read through this, <clears throat> see what's going on in this spirit and see the valuation that Yeshua did for us as a priest. Because I mentioned our valuation is Yeshua, but now see that valuation specifically, how he valued you and me as a priest. Leviticus chapter 4, verse <clears throat> Verse 4. Sometimes when I read scripture, I read into it me. It becomes more alive. Sometimes when I read scripture, I, I meditate a selah on it so that I'm there in the spirit, and then I might even be back in time in the natural so it, I, I can get a feel of really the impact um, to me and to general revelation. So, this is going to be the same thing with Leviticus 4, verse 4. For if I shall bring the bull unto the door, Yeshua, of the tabernacle of the congregation before Yahuwah. So what's happening is I'm bringing a bull before the presence, the face of Yahuwah, 
And in order to go before the face, I have to go through Yeshua. He's the door. And I'm looking at the face of the Father. That's why Yeshua from the cross, looking back to the temple, he's looking at the face of the Father and he could cry out, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? Face to face, he was crying out. And he shall bring the bull of the, unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, the face of Yahuwah, not before, the face, the panim, and shall lay his hand upon the bull's head and kill the bull at the face of Yahuwah. Yeshua is the bull. And I, the priest that is anointed, Mashiach, I am Mashiach, shall take the bull's blood, Yeshua's blood, and bring it to the tabernacle of the congregation, his face, the face of the Father. And I shall dip my fingers in Yeshua's blood and sprinkle the blood seven times before Yahuwah, before the veil of the sanctuary. And I, the priest, shall put some of the blood upon the horns of the altar of sweet incense before the face of Yahuwah, which is in the tabernacle of the congregation. That, ta- that phrase, tabernacle of congregation, that means the dwelling place, the meeting place between us and the Father. It's where he dwells. It's where we congregate. It's where we assemble. It's where we come before him face to face. And shall pour all the blood of the bull at the bottom of the altar of the burnt offering, which is at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. What he did for us is he allowed us, he brought us in before the face of the Father. He's the door that gave us the positional ability to come before him. He poured out his blood as the bull to anoint us and then to anoint our altar at the face of the Father. So now our altar, which is where we worship, where we present our supplications and petitions is anointed, which means all of his answers are yes and amen. Because our altar at his face has now been anointed with the blood of Yeshua. Isaiah 52 Isaiah 53, Isaiah 53. This is why this passage says what it does. Isaiah 53, 
verse 10. Yet it pleased Yahuwah to bruise Yeshua. He has put him to grief. When you shall make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall see us. He bruised Yeshua. He caused him to die for this currency exchange because he saw the seed, the fruit of Yeshua's blood, which is us. He shall prolong his days and the pleasure of Yahweh shall prosper in his hand. So positionally, the valuation of us as priests is to stand before the face of Yahuwah with the anointing of the Yeshua's blood all over us and our altar is anointed so that our prayers are always heard. Satan can't touch us in that way. So he tries to get us to come into agreement to sell that position as well. You don't have the right to come boldly before the throne of grace. That's the attack by the enemy. You're not worthy to have that type of intimacy with God. I mean, that was kind of the whole thing in the Old Testament is, oh, no, nobody can see the face of God and live. So, oh, no, we can't even speak his name. But we talked about that. It's his name that breaks the bondage. And we do have the right to come before the face. Again, not because of us. He's valued us, though, as the great high priest. He put the same value on us because in this scenario, the high priest is the door. The high priest anoints us to be the priest. The high priest has anointed our altar so that all of our prayers are heard. So when we pray, we need to have confidence. It's not only boldly thinking, okay, I can come before the grace. It's also boldly with your prayers because your altar is anointed and you're before the face. There's no hindrance. There's nothing between you and the face of God because the door has been opened. We've done some definitions in the past about holy and about Zion. And remember the definition of Zion is that's how we get to, through the door to get access to the sun. This whole thing really ties together. That to me is Isaiah 52. It really is about a currency issue. And we didn't even get into the fullness of the currency, which is Isaiah 53. Isaiah 54, he talks about why he does it, because he loves us so much. And he gets back into the currency in Isaiah 55, and we read that first verse. The currency exchange comes down to you need to understand your valuation. 
and stop selling yourself for less than anything than that. Not only as a child of God, but even also as a priest. So Heavenly Father, thank you, thank you, thank you. A million times and an endless amount of times of thank you for what you did for us. We have trampled on your blood and not made it the work that it really deserves. We repent from our feeble thanksgiving. We repent from our feeble praise. We repent for not giving you the honor that you deserve and what you have done. We repent for not understanding when you say there's power in the blood. We don't have a clue. So, Father, this day, may the truth of the power of your blood in meth take root deeper and deeper into our soil. May we be trees of righteousness planted by living water that always bear their fruit in due season and have leaves that never wither because we understand that you made a way and you have allowed us to come before your face not occasionally but forever to dwell. Father, this day I take the blood and I declare it over everyone here that all shackles, all bondage, all wounds, all transgressions, all sin, all iniquity, all the wiles of the enemy, all of the schemes that we don't even understand now he's tried to uh, do backup programs and things in the spirit and things across timelines, your blood takes care of it all. So we cry out as little children with faith the size of a mustard seed and say, Father, save us. Save us from it all. Deliver us. We engage with Zion and ask that you would anoint our feet that we would be sent forth to publish good tidings and good news. That Jerusalem would wake up out of its dust. That your children would be captured in the nets that you send forth to bring into a place where they would hear the word. For who has believed your report? Someone must be sent, may it be us. So, Father, we declare into the heavens for our families, for our friends, for our colleagues, we declare unto their spirits that Zion is calling out for you and that the door has been anointed, that Yeshua is the door, the way, and the life. He is the truth. He is the anchor to your soul. And we have every right as the identity of priests that you have given us to cry out before an anointed altar that our prayers are heard and you respond quickly with yes and amen. May we always be confident in that and never doubt you. For Abraham believed and it was counted unto him as righteousness. We believe when we pray and petition before you with your spirit flowing through our mouths that your answer is yes and amen to all things. 
Father, I thank you that because we are gathered in unity of the Spirit, in unity of truth, that your presence flows. Your presence is available. Your presence sits upon us like a mountain because we give you honor and your authority comes in. I thank you for everyone here that they stand with you, offering themselves as living sacrifices that are pleasing and acceptable to you. May you consume their offerings as sweet-smelling incest in your nostrils. And from that place of intimacy, from that place of before your face, you came down on Mount Zion with thunderings and lightnings and darkness and arrows shooting out all over. From that place under the shadow of your wings before your face, you fight on our behalf. You contend with those that contend against Zion, and you will save us. Father, our heart breaks for all the children that are lost, that give you no honor and give the enemy honor, and that have sold themselves for nothing. We ask that you would extend and call upon them that righteous exchange that they would be redeemed without money. We call out to the spirits that are across the country, that are across the world, that are broken, that are hurting, that they stop looking to the kingdom of this world for answers. They would stop doing any work with the bookie that's selling them for nothing. Father, we let Zion cry out and say that there is nothing of interest in this world that compares to you. We ask that the interest and the the draw unto the wilderness of death dries up and bears no fruit and we break down any barrier or obstacle of the roads that lead to the path of holiness and we declare today that zion is open come to her all you that are weary all you that need to find rest i thank you for and in Christian's vision and bride movement and a place to congregate that we can be ourselves, that we can engage with you freely, unshackled in truth and in love. May you bless them. May we be blessed. Father, may you guard us. May you keep us. May your face shine upon us. And may your countenance Rise up for your namesake. Yeshua, I pray all these things. Amen. You've just listened to Todd Talks here at Bride Ministries International. Be sure to visit our website at bridemovement.com. You can support us by leaving a donation. You can also check out our other offerings, such as our church. You can check out our institute. We offer prayer resources and, of course, so much more.